0: Welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Estherini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Holocaust and the UK. Hi friends and welcome to season three, episode three of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. I hope everyone has had a lovely week here in Berlin. It's been really sunny and they've lifted lifted the majority of the restrictions. So it almost feels like we've gone back to normal life in the space of seven days. So that's great. I'm going to keep the intro to this episode really short because I had the hiccups right before hitting record and I feel like I've just only got a small window until I get hit with the hiccups again. So um, this week I'm going to be speaking about The holocaust and the uk and talking about what the british government actually did to aid jewish people during the holocaust so it's not going to be a particularly long episode i mean i'm sure most of you know that there wasn't a huge involvement from great britain during the holocaust but i do think it's worth having a little explanatory episode about it so without further ado let's crack on with the episode okay so let's have a look at what happened in great britain during the war and mostly going to be talking about the issues surrounding immigration and just going to touch a little bit on um what the government was aware of so although there were opportunities for immigration before the outbreak of world war ii for jewish people the start of the war put a stop to immigration to most western countries why because it was forbidden by the nazi government in october of 1941 so following Kristallnacht, The Night of the Broken Glass, that happened in November of 1938, which I've spoken about in the first season. Um, so go and check that out if you're wondering what it is or just have a little Google. Um, if you type in The Night of the Broken Glass or Kristallnacht, then it will come up with an explanation for you. So, um Following Kristallnacht, the rescue of approximately 10,000 Jewish children from Nazi Germany, Austria, Czechoslovakia and Poland was organised. These children aged from zero to 17 years and were to be granted refuge in the united kingdom until it was safe for them to either immigrate to another country or be reunited with their families so this rescue effort would become known as the kinder transport which means children's transport in english and many children unfortunately never saw their families again following the holocaust so i personally think that the kinder transport is a great example of how in the early stages of genocide civilians and governments have the power to intervene and save lives without knowing that people are going to be or are being systematically murdered and as we know technically no murder need to take place for genocide to be perpetrated so although this rescue was arranged before the order of the final solution was enacted it still is a significant example of what what can be done during their early stages of genocide so How did this all come about? Well, following on from the violence of Kristallnacht, prominent leaders from the Jewish community in Britain and refugee aid committees lobbied the British government into easing immigration restrictions so that Jewish children could enter the UK without their parents. And I'm really sorry if I'm a bit croaky today, but I do have, for the first time in my life, I have hay fever. So um, I'm a bit short of breath. So just bear with me. Um, So, yes, Jewish children could enter the UK without their parents. So the funding for this was to be financed by the refugee agencies and each child's education and care had to be funded privately. Alongside this, every every child was to have £50 to fund their eventual re-immigration so as not to put any financial burden on the British public. So this was debated in the UK Parliament on November 23rd. 21st 1938 and a bill was passed that allowed for an unlimited amount of jewish children to enter the uk and stay temporarily after this bill was passed the refugee agencies got to work and traveled to germany and austria to arrange for the transportation of the selected children once inside the reich they were aided by jewish organizations Of course, there was an extremely high demand for places on the transports, with there being 60,000 children at risk in Germany and Austria alone. But places could not be guaranteed without a British sponsor for the £50 needed to re-immigrate. So naturally, that restricted who would eventually get a place on the transport. So just two weeks after the programme's approval, 200 children from a Jewish orphanage in Berlin that had been destroyed during Kristallnacht arrived in Harwich in the UK. So for the next nine months, children were transported from the countries that I mentioned earlier by train to ports in Belgium and the Netherlands, where they then sailed to the UK. The last transport left Germany on the 1st of September 1939, Uh, which is the outbreak of the second world war and the last transport to leave the Netherlands was on the 14th of May 1940 when the Dutch authorities surrendered to German forces so although the program was short 10,000 children managed to escape Nazi occupied Europe around half of them were placed with foster families and the other half stayed in hostels, schools and farms throughout the country and after the end of the end of World War II most of the children children whose parents had perished became either became British citizens or emigrated to Israel, the US, Canada or Australia. So, as you can imagine, this is quite a significant initiative because it's um just utilising foresight basically and looking at the situation as is and seeing that it's deteriorating for um, European Jews and the the government being lobbied and then coming to a decision on what to do about it. And if you think about, if you zoom out a bit and think about this, what parents would have had to go to to make that decision to send their children abroad Um, at this point so in 1938 and it must have just been terrifying and of course you can only send your children if you fit um, specific requirements especially with having a sponsor and also you you are sending your children across Europe and then across the sea to the UK that's not a small trip and then once in the UK who knows how long it will be until you're reunited again And I just think it's a huge, huge thing for the parents to take on and for the children as well. Um, Because coming from countries where they don't speak English, who knows if if the family does actually speak English and, and even if their children do. And they could be very, very young. So... Yeah I think if you want to know more about the kinder transport and the experiences of these children then there is a lot of information out there and um, you can even go to specific train stations if you do live in one of the countries where the children came from and you usually there's a monument so there's one here in Berlin at Friedrichstrasse um, station and also there's one at liverpool street station in london those are two that i i know of um so i would highly recommend looking that up um just to see if you live nearby anywhere where any of these transports left from or arrived to so alongside the kinder transport we do have another rescue mission i don't know rescue program so this was the kitchener camp so In early 1939 the Council for German Jewry established a camp for Jewish men aged between 18 and 40 in an old World War I army base in Sandwich in Kent. Much like the Kindertransport this was meant to be a stopover until the men either re-immigrated or returned back home. So the um, German Jewish council managed to rescue around 4,000 Jews, most of whom had come from concentration camps following their arrest during Kristallnacht. So 2,000 were German, 1,000 were Austrian and 500 were from Belgium, Czechoslovakia and Italy. And then there were 400 women and children as well. So the camp had its own post office, school, cinema, newspaper and orchestra. And they were able to interact with the local townspeople. So when you think of this camp, don't think of, you know, what we think of concentration camps in Germany. Um, yeah, there was um, there was interaction with the townspeople. Some, were, some of the, um, what do you call it? It's not interns. I don't know what you because they're not prisoners. Um, some of the refugees were able to arrange visas for their wives and children to join them at the camp. So after the outbreak of the war, 887 men who had been given refuge here volunteered to join the British Army. British Army primarily undertaking tasks on the home front, so after sixteen months, this camp was actually disbanded and closed after the Nazi invasion and subsequent occupation of Holland, Belgium, and France. The government actually feared that there were Nazi spies amongst the men that had been g- given refuge, and many of them were moved and interned on the Isle of Man so what you can see from these two um, programs um Oh, my voice. Hayley was so annoying. Um, Wait, I need to cough. Uh. Okay, so what we can see from these two programmes is that initially, at least in 1938, the British government was open to some kind of um, immigration for Jewish children and also the men that had been imprisoned during Kristallnacht. And what we see is as soon as the war... Oh, not again. (laughs) I'm so Sorry. (laughs) um then what we see i can't i can't just stop and start and keep stopping and starting i'm just gonna have to get through this okay um and then what we see with the outbreak of the war is obviously that priorities shift and then obviously the focus becomes on fighting the war against nazi germany and um doing that more so than relief efforts or or um sent rescuing jewish european jews I will just also say that British troops did liberate camps at the end of the war, the most infamous camp being Bergen-Belsen. But I'll save the details of that for another episode when we delve into the camp system a little deeper, probably in another, a completely different series from this one, um, because there is so much to unpack in each different camp. I mean, you could just, you could do a whole podcast just purely based on that. Anyway... Finally, I want to touch on the UK's response to the Holocaust in general. I have spoken about this before and how British intelligence was informed of the final solution. And I think Winston Churchill himself even brought it up in the House of Commons. Um, however, the British government decided to take the stance that the best route to go down, re um, the Holocaust, was to win the war and as a result put a stop to the systematic killing of Jewish people and that was their stance that's the stance they took but they did 100% know about the atrocities that were being committed during the war it just wasn't their priority to go for that and um, yeah you'll often hear people asking why didn't the allies bomb Auschwitz it just wasn't a priority for the British government also I've spoken to survivors before and there's kind of obviously there's always going to be differences of opinions but I've heard survivors say that um, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Bombing the the trains wouldn't have mattered. Like they still would have found a way to... I mean, people would have still been suffering there and I'm sure a way would have been found to keep bringing people to the camp. So, if you want to know more anyway about that particular aspect of it, you can check out my episode in the first season that talks over what the Allies actually knew... Um, And just to add another snippet of information for you, not only was it quite difficult for Jewish people to emigrate out of Nazi-occupied Europe, but Britain also blocked immigration to British-mandated Palestine during this time, both during the Holocaust and post-war. So there was opportunity all round to help out, probably much more than they did, but clearly it was not their priority and they weren't obligated to do so either and that's it that is the uk's involvement in the holocaust in a nutshell before i close this week's episode i do want to talk about the Wiener library in london and give a little backstory on that as i do mention it quite often on the pod and it is connected to the uk so the Wiener library then called the jewish central information office the jcio was founded by dr alfred Wiener, a jewish man from berlin as a response to the rise of the Nazis. Um, So he saw what was going on and he immediately thought that he had to document everything because he saw the persecution that um, Jewish people were suffering and also this rise in a right-wing fascist government. So the JCIO collected and shared information about the Third Reich and the Nazis' persecution of Jews. When Hitler came to power... Wiener and his family fled to Amsterdam where he founded the JCIO but following Kristallnacht he decided to move his collection to the UK and when in the UK the JCIO aided the British government throughout the war and assisted prosecutors during the Nuremberg trials and also amassed a large amount of survivor testimony and today the collection is housed in Russell Square in London, so central London, and the library is open to the public. You can use the reading room, browse its exhibitions, attend talks and events, and tour the archives as well, if you're interested in that. So I would say definitely check that out if you happen to be in London. It's i think one of the oldest holocaust libraries in the world or one of the oldest archives to do with this in the world so it's definitely a piece of history and it is a beautiful library so even if you want to just go and do some studying there or sit and read or yeah browse their collection i would highly recommend it and yeah it's in central london so it's easy easy to access if you're ever there or if you just happen to live there and with that being said that's it for this week's episode as ever please rate review I can't speak anymore (laughs) please rate review and subscribe also if you do have any questions or anything or anything interesting that you find like please don't hesitate to dm me or send me an email info app without the footnotes.org is the email and instagram is at without the footnotes i'm losing all my brain cells so i'm going to sign off hay fever has ruined me for this week but we got through it without me hiccuping again so i guess swings and roundabouts and i will catch you next time okay ciao